Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. Sunday edition of The Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Later on in the half hour, we're going to be speaking with three members of uh, Robert Hall's family, the Canadian, one of the two Canadians, who were abducted by uh, Abu Sayyaf, the ISIS-related terror group in the Philippines. And both Mr. Hall and Mr. John Ridsdale, both of them were threatened with death, and Abu Sayyaf clearly stating, we don't get a ransom, they're going to be beheaded. And from what we found out last week, Canadian military were ready to intercede. JTF-2, Joint Task Force 2, the uh, special forces, elite special forces, and their former commanding officer was on the air with us yesterday, Lieutenant Commander, Lieutenant Commander Steve Day. And uh, the Americans were engaged, and the Filipinos uh, were engaged. The Philippine military was engaged. And Mr. Trudeau had the option of ordering a go for the mission, and from what we understand, Mr. Trudeau said, stand down. And Robert Hall's family are not only disappointed, they're very angry. And I spoke last weekend with uh, with his sister, and uh, she'll be back with us in the next half hour, along with two of Mr. Hall's cousins. They started a national petition drive. It's about time, because what happened to Mr. Hall and Mr. Ridsdale was horrific. Plus, uh, the federal government uh, discouraged both families from even considering paying ransom. And from what they told me was, they anticipated that maybe there'd be a rescue mission, and so they didn't pursue the ransom option. But then they lost their, uh, their loved ones. So Mr. Trudeau has a lot to answer to. A lot. James Rosen is the chief Washington uh, correspondent for the Fox News Channel, and I've been a big fan of Mr. Rosen's for many years, and I um, have an opportunity to speak to him today, and it's been quite a week in, uh, in the United States. James, thank you for taking the time, and I must say, if, uh, if I was going to choose a week to talk to you, this was the best week possible. Well, I'm grateful, Roy, for your kind words and for the chance finally belatedly to call in, and uh, looking forward to... Uh communicating with the good people up north. Well, you have us uh, across the country, and we have a lot of American listeners as well. We get calls from Chicago and L.A. and um, New York. It's wonderful what online listening will do, so you get completely different perspectives. My, my brother is a proud graduate of McGill University. Well, there you go. And, uh, I went up to visit with him uh, in Montreal when I was uh, a high school student and had several seminal experiences there, that one week in Montreal, so... Great fond regards. Well, I uh, I don't doubt it. I grew up in Montreal, and I know what those moments are like. I remember them well. <laughs> James, the the United States uh, missiles fired at the Assad air base in Syria in response to Assad using the chemical weapons on civilians, including children. Now, uh, President Trump is being generally praised for his actions, but there are those who are suggesting there might have been some sort of collusion between Trump and 
and Putin in order to take the pressure off the investigation in the United States as to whether there was any sort of any work uh, behind the scenes between the Putin administration and the Trump campaign, which there's no evidence to that uh, for any of that at this point. But when you look at what the uh, what Mr. President Trump did as far as the returning the uh, or at least attacking the uh, airbase in in uh, serious concern, how does that uh, how does that play? How do you how do you assess that? Was that exactly the right move by the president? Well, of course, we have to narrow down uh, the category in which we're focused, uh, whether that would be the right military move, the right move for affecting uh, actions on the ground in Syria, or the right move politically here at home and so forth. With respect to the first part of your question, it's now abundantly clear that Donald Trump couldn't cut himself shaving uh, without somebody alleging collusion with the Russians in the act. Um, I don't think that there's uh, evidence of collusion uh, between the U.S. and Russia in this uh, in this particular military strike, beyond the fact that the Trump administration gave Russians, uh, who were apparently active on that very military base, uh, about an hour's notice before the strike commenced. Uh, but in terms of how it's playing, I think you're correct that, uh, broadly speaking, uh, the operation appears, uh, with whatever its limited aims, to have been an actual success in that the target was struck, no loss of life on the American side, and so forth. Um, it did effectively convey a signal to uh, Bashar al-Assad about uh, U.S. displeasure over uh, his actions on the ground in Syria. And one other fascinating uh, facet of this particular military strike, Roy, is that uh, veteran observers of the presidency could not remember another instance, um, at least readily, where um, a, an American commander-in-chief ordered military action of this sensitive nature over in the Middle East uh, while entertaining on American soil a foreign dignitary of the stature of Chinese President Xi Jinping, who was in Florida uh, to meet with President Trump when the action occurred. And uh, so in addition to whatever messages Mr. Trump hoped to send to Bashar al-Assad and Vladimir Putin, it was also clear to many observers that he was using this occasion, which he certainly could have delayed another 48 hours if he so desired, uh, to send a message to the Chinese. Uh, the big-picture message from uh, Mr. Trump would appear to be to other states who maintain client states such as Russia does with Syria, or as China does with North Korea. Uh, in essence, uh, don't put us into a box where we feel we have to act unilaterally. Uh, it was interesting to see Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador, uh, warn about 48 hours before the action took place at the U.N. Security Council publicly that, the, uh, that if the Russians didn't rein in the Syrians, the U.S. may see fit to take unilateral action, uh, and the Trump administration delivered on that threat. Is there any sense of how the uh, Chinese president responded to all of this happening around him? And suddenly during dinner, the president of the United States turns to him and, and, and says, by the way, we're, uh, we're attacking Syria right now. Um, the, the Chinese are very difficult to read, but has there been any sense of how, how they're reacting to, uh, to what took place while the uh, Chinese president was, uh, was it um, Well, they were noticeably quiet where other countries were... Um, issuing statements uh, Friday morning, such as the British or the Saudi Arabia, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which called this a courageous decision, right. uh, from those countries from which condemnation could be expected, condemnation swiftly came from the Iranians, from the Russians, but the Chinese were noticeably silent. Uh, this entire summit was already uh, a very uncertain prospect for the Chinese, who were used to tightly scripted summits. Indeed, in most of the major uh, jobs at the various federal agencies here in Washington, whether it's the Department of State or the Department of Defense 
uh, Central Intelligence Agency and others, uh, some of the key jobs relating to Asia have remained unfilled, the usual interlocutors of the Chinese. Uh, so they were very much on edge as they approached this summit to begin with, uh, precisely because uh, of President Trump's campaign rhetoric, uh, his own mercurial personality, and the absence of key staffers. So uh, to be informed that, by the way, while you're visiting here, we're launching kinetic military action in the Middle East, uh, again, it, it can only make a certain impression on the Chinese, uh, at a minimum, uh, that uh, Donald Trump is, uh, remains a kind of unpredictable figure, and one that uh, it's going to take some time for them to reckon with fully. Is it particularly difficult to be a reporter dealing with the Trump administration vis-a-vis -vis that of uh, Barack Obama? Well, you ask a particular individual uh, who had a singular experience with the Obama presidency I as remember. a working member of the press. I remember. Uh, with me having been designated uh, secretly in 2009 a criminal co-conspirator in an alleged violation of the Espionage Act uh, in connection with my reporting on North Korea's nuclear weapons program. I didn't learn about that, uh, like the rest of the world, until four years after the fact, in mid-2013, when the Washington Post broke that story. It marked the first time in American history that a working reporter had been designated a criminal uh, by the federal government simply for doing his job. Not even Neil Sheehan of the New York Times, who in 1971 published the Pentagon Papers, 7,000 classified documents tracing American involvement in Vietnam, was thusly designated by the Nixon administration. Uh, it briefly made yours truly, Roy, the number one trending subject on Twitter, outpacing my fellow celebrities Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift. <laughs> and um, and uh, the ensuing controversy over press freedoms in the Obama era led to procedural reforms at the Department of Justice uh, and, and, and other consequences. So right now, I'm obliged to say, uh, simply as a matter of personal experience, but also as an objective fact, uh, that nothing the Trump administration has yet done to or with the news media, yet, anyway, approaches in seriousness or nature the severity of what we saw under the Obama administration in what many, uh, even on the left, called a concerted war on the press. Uh, that said, there's some uncomfortable aspects about the Trump administration's relationship with the news media thus far, and I'm not really encouraged about the future of its trajectory. Are we getting a uh, fair evaluation of what's happening with the, the Trump government, the Trump administration, from American media generally? Or is there a really polar opposite shift or a, a division where you have the left, you have the right, and you have ambiguity in the middle? It has been increasingly clear, uh, at, uh, at least here in Washington, which is where I make my home, uh, right in the District of Columbia, uh, and probably cities like it, New York, Los Angeles, self elsewhere, uh, that if you fail to respond to Donald Trump with apocalyptic fear, if your reaction to Donald Trump is anything short of apocalyptic fear, you will be read out of polite, civilized society. Um, and the, that which appears so outrageous and untenable and offensive um, in uh, certain precincts, such as the Beltway Press Corps, to a lot of Americans, looks uh, certainly the electorate that, that placed Donald Trump in the Oval Office looks feisty, uh, looks like Harry Truman-esque, uh, and like he's given him hell to the elites. Uh, it's, the, the electorate was willing to overlook an awful lot about Donald Trump in order to place him into the Oval Office. I think where they are more inclined to hold the president to account, the electorate, and harshly, has not to do with his treatment of the news media or any of the sort of headlines that 
we in the Beltway Press Corps daily produce about investigations or transcripts or unmasking or what have you, where the American people, I think, will be inclined to judge the president harshly is uh, where it appears that he cannot advance his legislative agenda and actually accomplish big things for them, the electorate, such as lowering their health care premiums or lowering their taxes or finding or creating new jobs. And I think the failure of the president to enact health care reform or any other significant legislative accomplishment in his first 100 days is something uh, the American people uh, look upon with a more jaundiced eye than, than anything else. All right. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, more with uh, James Rosen from the Fox News Channel on the Chorus Radio Network. Roy may be a lot of things, but shy isn't one of them. He never backs down from a good debate. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Yesterday, Kevin O'Leary was one of our guests, neck and neck with Maxime Bernier, running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And on the 22nd, Mr. Bernier is going to be joining us. Kevin O'Leary yesterday saying that regardless of who wins, the other one should support the winner throughout the next couple of years until we have our next federal election when the Conservatives will try to unseat Justin Trudeau, who's doing a great job of preparing the country to unseat him in in my view. Uh, emails Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show. James Rosen is my guest, Fox News Channel, and uh, Washington Chief Washington Correspondent. James, two events have caught a great deal of attention, gotten a lot of attention here, uh, that have happened in Washington over the last week. One is the nuclear option, so-called nuclear option, to seat Justice Neil Gorsuch as uh, Supreme Court Justice. That's just a simple majority victory for us in Canada. We look at that and we say, what's the problem? It was a majority win, and that's the way it goes in politics. And then there's Susan Rice, who was the national security advisor for Barack Obama. Uh, and the question is, did she, with intent, unmask members of the Trump campaign in conversations they had with foreign officials beginning before Trump was nominated? Can you share some insight on both of those stories for us, please? Sure. Great to be back with you, Roy. These are very disparate events. The use of the nuclear option uh, in the confirmation process for Judge Neil Gorsuch to become Supreme Court Justice Gorsuch uh, reflects uh, the deteriorating uh, political climate in the United States, the, the increasing gridlock uh, in, our, in our legislature, um, and particularly the inability of a, of a candidate for, or a nominee for the Supreme Court like Neil Gorsuch to clear a 60-vote threshold is really truly shocking because he is um, an eminently qualified jurist um, and uh, and and really there's very little that anyone should have uh, any basis really for opposing him but we live in an age where everyone here in, in American politics is uh, affected by the digital revolution and by the the ease with which people can raise their own money and and air their own commercials and primary and have a primary challenge against a sitting lawmaker without the aid of the national leadership. Um, and so it's difficult for, and we see this in the health care collapse of President Trump's legislation there, the Speaker of the House controlling his fellow Republicans, really, there's some who he can't bring along in his flock. Everyone's afraid of being primaried, in essence. And the, the digital revolution has made it easier for that to occur, so it contributes toward gridlock. And so uh, you, people are, if, if you're if you're a Democratic lawmaker 
and you're presented with a candidate like Neil Gorsuch, who is eminently qualified on his face, um, and who's a former clerk to the to uh, two Supreme Court justices, um, and uh, he, whose appointment to the court isn't even going to shift the ideological balance, you're probably well advised to just go along and vote for him and wait for the next justice to come along uh, who might really shift the balance of the court. But the Democrats didn't do that. The Republicans then, uh, to shut off the filibuster by the Democrats, invoked the so-called nuclear option. And this means basically changing the precedent of how the Senate does business to make such, uh, even Supreme Court nominations, not subject to the filibuster, meaning they can pass with a simple 51 votes. Uh, the problem is that it, uh, it puts us on a slippery slope here in the United States to a point where uh, maybe only a 51-vote majority is necessary even for legislation not just uh, confirmations. And that would really represent a limiting of uh, how much, how vigorously the debate can be presented by the minority party, whoever that happens to be. But this many years in the making, the Democrats nominations. Now the nuclear battle has escalated to the Supreme Court, and who knows where it goes from here. On the other issue you mentioned, Roy, which was uh, Susan Rice, uh, President Obama's former national security advisor, uh, being uh, identified in uh, many published reports, including some by Fox News, as having unmasked the identities of uh, Trump associates, perhaps the president himself, uh, as they appeared coded um, behind a code in intelligence reporting. Um, that's a sensational story here, and we're not sure exactly where it's going to play out. Uh, but it, it, while it does nothing to justify President Trump's still baseless claim that he was subjected to wiretapping by Barack Obama, it does provide some measure of substantiation for um, the claims by Mr. Trump and his supporters uh, that he was subjected to improper surveillance, maybe not wiretapping, but surveillance of some kind. And I think we're still learning all the facts about this. Yeah. Interesting. You know, 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I start to look at Twitter. And I know there's going to be somebody there who'll be tweeting just to me, and I know exactly who it's going to be every morning at 3. <laughs> I promise to knock that off. <laughs> in about 10 seconds, what did you do to Piers Morgan? Well, he got out of line. He criticized Ringo Starr online, and I, I gave it to him. I let him have it appropriately, uh, especially uh, subjects of the crown should not be critical ever of any of the four Beatles, or of Pete Best, for that matter, the original Beatle who was their drummer before Ringo Starr. That's and, how absolutist on this question I am. And you are one of the world's true Beatles experts. So how many versions of uh, one song do you have? Oh, 27, all 27 takes of Strawberry Fields. <laughs> so starters, I don't like your tie. Yeah. <laughs> but, James, uh, I, uh, I have to go because, you know, what satellite breaks are like. We have about two seconds. Thank you for the time today. Great talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate all the it. Best. Bye-bye.